All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're going to go on in. Come on in. Settle in. Open your Bibles to Matthew 7. Let's get ready for a discussion on God's Word. It's good to see all of you on this beautiful morning. In our discussions we've had on the Sermon on the Mount today, we're taking a little bit, not a shift, but more of a transition towards the conclusion, the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where we're going to be finding several sections that focus on some summary-type points in these sections that we can take everything that we've discussed so far, and we'll be able to reach back from each section as something else that we've discussed in this passage or in this sermon that we can reference um, to add more uh, streamlined, more continuous thought that we've seen this entire time through and apply it to our lives and what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. So we left off last time in verse 12 of chapter 7. So I'm going to pick up in verse 13 and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. We're starting off this one theme, this one thought that's being applied in different ways So if you haven't, please open up to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll start reading in verse 13. Verse 13 reads, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those that enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. There's some very popular sections that we just read that most people would at least say sound familiar. We sing the song about the wise man building this house on the rock, but I don't, I don't think we give too much attention to exactly what that means for us. Rose can sing that entire song with the hand gestures. 
But when you consider that these sections are not independent sections of one another, but are rather tied into this one starting conclusion that begins in verse 13, of entering by the narrow gate, we're going to derive a lot of value from this. So going back to verse 13, we'll reread that. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those that enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. These two verses, 13 and 14, are going to project out into the rest of this chapter. There are three baseline observations that are made in these two verses. The first is that there are two separate gates. There are two separate gates or paths that are going different ways. The second is that one of these gates, one of these paths leads to destruction and the other leads to life. The third would be that many are going to take one and few are going to take the other. Many will take the gate of destruction while few will go to the way of life, to the gate that leads to life. What makes these gates wide or narrow in the context of the rest of this chapter that we read through? What makes the gates wide? What makes the gates narrow? Let's start with the first. Why is the wide gate wide? easier to follow. We can require, you could say it requires less effort, less sacrifice, maybe less thought, less energy. What else? Wide and open because 
it's leaking to somewhere that is wide, open, all that kind of strength. Uh, as opposed to when there is a very confined and defined pathway, you don't have a massive gate that leads down a, a really small valley that's a defined path. Um, and so the, the construction of the gates in this scenario are really a function of the fact that aren't going to go down the, the very defined pathway of righteousness. You gotta have a wide open field that you're that you're opening into where there isn't a lot of definition about what you have to do. Yeah. And so like that's the the gate here is is wide because the place it's going is wide. The gate is narrow because it's going somewhere narrow. I think that's a great observation in the, the idea of there's an exclusivity associated with that that can kind of go in a couple of different directions. Uh, if you look at verse 14, uh, at the end it says there are a few who find it. And, you know, just growing up in an area that there were not a lot of Christians, people who thought they were Christians, uh, that there's a lot more that think they know and few that are actually able showing the way. Yeah. I think there's 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 we can boil it down I think to two categories. It's first there's like the, there's like an ease of use. There's a bit there's a really simple barrier of entry going down the wide the wide easy path. The idea of Seeing what's at the end of the path doesn't seem to be apparent in this passage, where it's like if you were just looking down the wide path, like, well, that's wide open. You'd be kind of silly not to take that path because you probably aren't seeing the destruction at the end of the path. Like, if you were seeing that clearly, you would think that you might choose a different course of action. And that's kind of evidence over here in verse 15. Again, this sec these two verses are going to set the tone for the rest of this passage. Says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in the sheep's clothing. They look good. Looks innocent. Looks wise. Looks intelligent. Looks like I can lean on that. I can rely on that. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. Even if we were not taking the false prophets standpoint here. Think about the wide gate and what Jesus has already said just in this sermon about the Pharisees and the scribes. Do you think the Pharisees and scribes, based on Jesus' definition of them, are narrow gate people or wide gate people, generally speaking? Wide gate people. But they were extremely religious. They were the trusted ones. They were the teachers. They were the ones in the synagogues. If you had a question, you'd probably go to one of them. They were the ones in the synagogues teaching you. They were reading the scriptures. They were the ones teaching. But what has Jesus said about them? It's like, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. So I think there is, on one hand, this idea there's a barrier of entry is just really low going down the wide gate. And in absence of really being able to see clearly what's at the end of each gate at the time, it would make a ton of sense the wide gate's the way for me. And I think there's this aspect of almost... I 
There's a, there's a majority aspect that goes along with it where it's going to include so many other people. It's going to include the people that seem right. It's going to include people that seem, that seem like they're just doing right things, you know, that have the appearance of this. They're a sheep. But ultimately, they could be full of people purely just serving their own desires, regardless of position, regardless of what their actual title is, regardless of what their role is. One of the most sharp themes that we've seen in this entire passage, this entire sermon, has been this idea of where is your heart in whatever you are doing? That cannot be not noticed in this section. Where you look at the wide gate and those who are entering in that way and what Jesus has already said about the people who've already received their reward. The kingdom of heaven is not for them. They got their reward. Though they were doing good things, though they were doing things in Jesus' name, they already received their reward. It's worth noting here that the narrow way, the narrow path, this gate, that's been a norm throughout Scripture. Some easy examples would be to just reference the idea of Noah. Whereas Noah plus seven that were saved, and everyone else was destroyed in the flood. Go ahead and open to Romans chapter 11. Another example of the, the majority never really being included in that narrow way. The wide gate has always been the wide gate for a reason because the majority are pursuing that. So in Romans chapter 11, start reading in verse 3. This is talking about in the days of Elijah, which references back to 1 Kings 19. In this passage, Paul writes, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left that seek. Oh, excuse me. They have demolished, and I alone am left, and they that and they seek my life. But what was God's reply to him? I have kept for myself seven thousand men, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Seven thousand out of the entire nation. A minority such that Elijah said, I'm alone here. It's just me. But God has always preserved that remnant. There was 7,000 that did not bow the knee. So regarding the wide gate, the barrier of entry seems appealing, but also that way could be full of people that might look like they know what they're talking about their hearts were never in the right place. They weren't truly seeking the truth. And so there is a lack of exclusivity in that realm where it seems like a good idea. Because look who's in there. The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, the authorities, the people that are, that are, their sole job is to fulfill the law. We've seen already this entire sermon, what's been the result of that so far. 
So then contrast that then. The, so the narrow gate. Verse 14 reads, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So why is the narrow gate so narrow? goes back to the first. It's like there's this low barrier of entry. I can go down this path and still be thinking about me. I can do the things that I want. I'm not appealing to anybody else. I'm not having to justify myself. It's definitely an aspect of it. There's your ease component. What else? So earlier in the sermon, you talked about the way of practicing your righteousness before others. It's getting into your heart. But maybe there's like a twofold application to this. The narrow gate is hard because not only do you have to actually do the right things, but you also have to have the right heart. It's not enough just to do the right stuff with the wrong heart and like we'll see that's the I never knew you section. Yeah. So it's it's difficult because not only do you have to actually be obedient and do the right things, but then you also have to do it with the right heart posture. Yeah. That's a, think about who this is being written to, who's hearing this right now, was the Jews. The people that thought, I'm in. Kingdom of heaven is for me because I am one of God's people. I did the right things. I was probably circumcised when I was supposed to be. I've probably gone to Hebrew school the way that I was supposed to do. I probably memorized these passages. I followed the law. Then what's the purpose of this sermon? If that's what it took to go the narrow path was to just check my boxes, why does this sermon even exist? It's because there's this, this adjustment of the bar. It was moved. The heart was removed from the equation. And we have these masses of people who may have been checking boxes for all the wrong reasons. John. There's a component, I never really thought about this until the last couple of minutes, but I, I'm envisioning it as a river. So you've got a giant waterfall, that's the easy way. Or you can take the hard way, which is the lock system that you have to go through a very specific series. You have to obey the process to make it through safely. Or you can do whatever you want and you're, you'll go to destruction over the waterfall. The path, and that's sort of like the, the, the two paths. It's not just it's easy, yes, it is easy to go this path. You can do whatever you want. There's no, you're not allowing anything to impose 
it's will on you right. because you're choosing whatever you want. Whereas on the, the more difficult path, you have to allow the imposition into your world. It is affecting you and you have to respond to it. You cannot dictate to it. You have to respond. You have to be malleable. You have to follow its path versus try to impose your will on it. So it's not just, yeah, the path is easy or the path is hard. If there's a willingness to comply or humble yourself or accept external forces or not. So. And I'm sure you probably have, but if you've never tried, if you ever try to fight against a river, good luck. It's easy going along with that path. But the idea of imposing these rules may just be the thing that, like the lock system, may just be that thing that keeps you alive. A few, few hands. Man, I think I saw Nicole first. Um, I think it would be easy to kind of make the jump to say God has made it really difficult to, to be yeah. in heaven. And, and maybe, that's what this, maybe that's what this is saying, right? But I think instead of viewing it that way, <laughs> that God has made it really difficult, um, if we think about it, it says only a few find it. But if we go back a few verses, seek and you will find. Yeah. I think the implication is that there are few who actually seek, who yeah. really want it. And so he told us, if you seek for it, like, you're going to find it. It's not that God's made it impossible for it to happen. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And uh, going, going along with that is this idea of is the narrow way, this gate is made for you. It's, it's, it's there for you to come. And this entire, one of the other major themes that we've seen is this fatherly, I would come, I'm coming to you. I'm trying to pull you to me. It's like I'm trying to get you to me like a father would to their children. But then you can look at like Romans 12 lays out this idea of making no provisions for the flesh. Or it's like you can't be these, a follower. It's like I'm with you, but I'm going to keep this thing. This is my thing over here. Like, I'm going to keep doing my thing. This is my vice. I'm just going to keep this in my back pocket in case I want to go back to it. The same idea we just saw with, with Elijah. I'm an Israelite. Culture's leaning me towards bowing the knee to Baal. All my friends are doing it. It's the thing. It won't hurt anybody. But you're making a provision. You're keeping this over here. And what that is, is that's rejection. That's you leaving the Father, not the Father making it hard for you. And God's not putting that, God's will isn't up for a vote. It's like, you want, to, you want to be with the Father? Here are the commands. Here's the things. And we're going to keep, we're going to, well, I want to keep going because, because we're going to keep really harping on this concept, but it's, God's will is not, is not asking you to, you know, hey, share your opinion on this and we can just adjust these things. It's like, it's kind of like John said, it's like, no, these, this is the way that it's going. If you do go my way that I'm telling you, this is going to lead to life. Another, the other way is destruction. Don't be deceived just because it looks easier than something else. A few hands. Alan, you had 
Yeah, you mentioned earlier that the bar was moved. The bar was only moved within their minds because it was from the beginning that mm -hmm. God wanted it to be this way. Yeah. Jesus is just showing light on how they were doing it wrong. And then when you compare the gates, a, a narrow gate, you can think of all kinds of different narrow things to compare it to. And it's hard to put that in perspective as, you know, you see a narrow gate going into a concert or something, or you go in a narrow gate like a cave or something that's so hard to get through. But it's, that's all within our own minds. It's still attainable, like you said. So there's, it's hard to compare it to a gate that we picture in our minds. That's a fair point. Uh, Greg and then Teresa. I find it interesting, the use of imagery here. Um, because when man was kicked out of the garden, it was for the sake of removing them from access to the tree of life. And here he's saying, if you want to have life, mm -hmm. follow the narrow path that leads through the narrow gate, and you're going to know whether you're on the right path or not, because those you're following will produce the proper fruit from the right tree. And so I think it's just an interesting image that, that this is one of the few times we actually get in Scripture where a tree is used in this sense to refocus us to this idea of the promised return to the tree of life that you don't get until Revelation. And so he's saying, which tree are you looking for? Are you looking for the good tree? Are you looking for the thing that will provide you life? Or are you going to accept this tree that's going to give you bad fruit. That's a great example. Seems kind of silly. I didn't think of that. It seems kind of, when you say it, it seems very in your face. That's a great example. And when he yeah. kicked him out of the garden, what did he do? He put a gate, he put cherubim, he put fire. Yeah. And so he's saying, you want to get back into the garden? You want to get back to the tree? Look for the narrow gate. Yeah. Look for the narrow path. That's a great point. Teresa? Um, and since the heart is at the very issue of this, then in studying Psalm 1 recently, and you know, you're struck by the fact that you have to love the law and that you cannot participate um, and take counsel from wicked and evil people. And then as you delight in the law, then you will bear this fruit. And they should, they should, and we should have already known this by their study of the Psalms have memorized, that they should have had in mind. It's really a pretty simple concept, but um, because that's not what they were, they were not this strong tree planted by the waters, being fed by the true sense of God's law, they did not bear that. <laughs> which makes the, which ought to make this and I hope that this has been the case. Like this, this sermon has been one extremely comforting from a perspective, this pers from a perspective of this, this, the father drawing the children to them to him. But then to to your point, it also should be a very sobering reminder. It's like you you should know better. You should know by now. Like this, you've you've had this word. You've seen the prophets. You you can you've been taught this, especially for this particular audience. You've been taught this since you were a child. But these things still have to be said for you to find the kingdom of life. 
if you find the kingdom of heaven. One of the things that I came up with, that I thought of where that makes the narrow gate the way that it is, why it's more hard, why it's challenging, is, 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 is it's a choice. And to, to a few of the comments that have been made so far, it's not just like a singular choice, it's a continuous choice. It's like you have to choose the gate. And thinking about it from terms that we can relate to, think about your spouse. Think about your kids. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's someone that is very important to you. But if you don't make the choices to do something about that relationship, what kind of relationship do you have? If my wife and I never see each other, and I don't talk to her, and I don't encourage her, and I don't try to edify her and vice versa, if I don't support her, she may be my wife in name only. What relationship do you have? If there's no interaction, if there's no time together, if there's no communication, like how your kids if I don't choose every day to do the things that I have to do to take care of my kids I may be a dad name only my kids may be my kids just because they you know they're they're they they're mine but like that doesn't mean like I'm doing the role of a father and we can all relate with like making these choices to do those things that actually invest into the relationship. And that's the way that God has chosen for us to refer to him. As children looking to their father who wants us to follow him. And there's a choice here where it's like God is our, it's already made clear. I've chosen you. In return... You've got to choose my way. You've got to choose me. And it's not an uncommon thing that we can't relate with. But that means parameters. That means choices be made. And that's where Jesus continues going on in this next section. I want to just bring up the idea of the example of Daniel. Well, it's such an amazing passage. I, I thought the book of Daniel was just, the story was just amazing. Like imagine Daniel going through everything Daniel had to go through, being pulled from his home, taken into an exile country. You've been conquered. So imagine the demoralization where you are God's people and you're a guy like Daniel, a kid. And the new guy, the ruler, the king says, I want you to do X. And you say, I'm not going to eat your food. Because my king says, I can't do that. There's a choice that's made. I'm not going to do it. And his friends in the, in the fiery furnace, the idea is it's like, our God can deliver us from this. Even if he doesn't, we are not going to worship you. It's not a single one-time choice thing. It's this continually, I'm choosing you. And that's exactly what this sermon is telling us that God has done for us. He's continually choosing us. He wants to draw us to do the same. Continually make that choice. Another aspect of these kind of like barrier of interest is go back to the Beatitudes. None of those things that it result with the promise at the end 
of each of those Beatitudes, no, no, none of us would look at that and be like, oh, that's easy. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I can't go on without this. Not a single person in this room doesn't struggle with that. The idea of being pure in heart and persecution. And so just imagine like if your description was this narrow gate is the people that are going down that these are these meek, merciful, pure in heart peacemakers that are rejoicing because they've been persecuted for righteousness sake. How's that for a job description? This way, you take yourself out of the equation. It's not about you anymore. Your will is what you are choosing to sacrifice. Go that way. When we got the wide gate over here, looks easier, and it's probably full of people who you think know better, but are actually sheep in wolf's clothing. You can see why the next section starts off with yet another warning. Beware, verse 15, beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So healthy trees bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. The healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can the diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. It'd be pretty easy to see going down this way. If I'm not looking at the fruit, I'm just looking at the tree. There's a whole bunch of trees going down that way. And they may look fine. But they are incapable of bearing good fruit. It cannot happen. And I think there's... There's... I don't know if it's, it's a scarcity bias. I don't know, but this idea of like... By taking the narrow gate, it's accepting the fact that you are probably not going to be accepted by the majority. Which is just not an easy thing to accept. So you're probably going to stand out. You're not going to look right. You're going to be different. You're not going to... Popularity, whatever it is, is probably not going to be your forte. Because the majority are going to go one way and you're choosing to go a different one. Seeking the kingdom first, it's a, it's a much smaller 
subset of people. Which is a nod towards the consistency that we've seen through this entire sermon so far, which was the solution to the situation about worrying and anxiety. It's just like, well, at the end of the day, if you're seeking first the kingdom, your father wants to take care of the rest. Just seek first the kingdom. Accept the fact that you're going to be different. Accept the fact that you're going to, it's going to be challenging. But continually make that choice. And as far as ways that, that applies to us in this section on the tree and the fruit, it's, it's more than words. The beware of the false prophets. They look good. However, they may be saying all the right things. But ultimately, their fruit is diseased. The fruit is from a diseased tree. It's from a bad place. And your actions, or their actions are the, excuse me, their actions are the fruit that's the result of the heart of the matter, whatever that they've been doing. And I think it's, there's, a, there's, there's this warning for a reason. Uh, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. It's a similar concept. A similar warning. Second Peter 2, starting verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This passage continues to go on to describe this idea of, of God's ability to, to rescue those who are following him, of preserving the remnant, of saving the ones who want to be with God. But the warning is the same nonetheless. Beware of these people. Beware the ones that are, look a certain way, but may do something else. Yes, sir. I think he's pointing out something real important here. Not just once you've entered that proper gate, there's still a decision you have to make as you go along. You've got to watch what's going on. Make sure that you're following the word, not just the preacher. Same. False prophets will show up. They will teach wrong things. That's in the next section. But it's saying, hey, just because you've chosen the right gate doesn't mean that's the end of it. No. You have to keep after the word, not the person. No. And there's a burden that goes on. Because I guess the point that you're making is like just because we, you may have made the choice, I'm going to go through the narrow gate. Like this is my path. This is, I'm going to, and I'm going to, whatever sacrifices be involved in to do that. I've made the choice, and that's what I'm going to do. So even though we've decided we're going to the proper church, we're doing the proper thing, we have to keep watching yeah. and keep being consistent with his word. Or, uh, or maybe it's continue pursuing the knowledge of the master who bought you. It's like, it's not like, okay, it's not a one-time choice. But it's a relationship. 
with the Father. And the, all of the nuances and evolving elements that go into that relationship is a continual choice that has to be made. So it's a good point. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Open up your Bibles there. Again, a similar warning in a slightly different context. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. Paul writes, And what I'm doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim that those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. That's a... That's a roundabout way of saying, I'm trying to make sure you understand the difference. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. Their fruit leads to destruction. So going again, going back to this idea of there's a narrow and a wide gate. We're identifying the reasons why many are able to find the wide gate. And there's a reason why this says, beware. The big warning label on this section. Beware of the people who want to pull you aside from the, from the narrow gate for their own reasons. It goes a step further in the next section. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Pause a little bit right there. So now we've kind of come to a little bit of the other side of the coin here, where it's not just, not just beware, be warned, hey, these people, there are people out there who don't have your best interest in heart. Watch out for them. So what do we do about that? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 22 says, on, this, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a hard, a hard passage. Just like the last section lays out, it, it's more than just words. It's more than just making this one-time choice. This is more than just religious acts. And we can take this part and go back, let's say, to chapter 6. Did we not give alms to the poor in your name? Did I not go to the synagogues and pray in your name to you? Didn't I fast and devote time in your name? 
It's a wonderfully clarifying passage in chapter 6. Why on earth would Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you, to someone who was giving alms and praying and fasting? Because their heart was never in the equation. There was no relationship. The wide gate includes some people that are fasting, praying, charitably minded people. And that should be a very sobering reminder. Protecting your heart is a high priority in this sermon. We're going to finish up next time and do some uh, review and some, some application. Thank you all so much.